The message this morning uh, is entitled Blasphemous Rabbi. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, because that's where it's going. Um, first, I want to tell you a story, though. I heard a story about uh, uh, a lady, elderly lady, who was going to a Bible study. And she had this routine, just like many of you do, this regular weekly Bible study that she went to. And they were going through a book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And they were studying Acts chapter 2. And as they were studying Acts chapter 2, uh, each week they had a memory verse. And her memory verse was Acts 2 38, and I'm sure some of you guys already know that right off the top of your head, but here's what it says. It says, repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2, 38. Well, she came home. She drove into her uh, little parking lot there right beside her house, right in her garage. She came, as she usually did, through the back door, and she heard someone in the front of the house. And you can imagine the terror that would strike your heart knowing that no one is supposed to be in this house when I'm not in this house. And so she very gingerly, she very carefully walked through the house and found there was a man. He had his back turned to her and he was rummaging through her credenza looking for cash. Her heart started pounding. She didn't have a taser. She didn't have any mace no pepper spray. So she did the only thing that came to the first thing that came to her mind. And she screamed out that Bible verse she had memorized. Acts 2.38. And the man miraculously froze. And he stayed there. And she thought, it's a miracle. So she got her phone and she dialed 911. And the cops came and found him right there, frozen. It was a miracle. And so he cuffed him, and the cop took him out to the squad, squad car and read him his rights and put him in the back of the squad car, came back in, took her uh, statement and said, ma'am, what happened here? She said, I don't know. It was a miracle. I didn't have a gun or anything. I just told him, I just shouted out a Bible verse, Acts 2.38, and he froze. He wouldn't move. And so the cop went back out to his car. The officer sat in his car, and he, he turned around and looked at the criminal and said, man, I got to ask you. She's about 110 pounds soaking wet. There's no way she would have been able to hold you there. Why don't you just run? Why did you freeze when she quoted the Bible verse? And he said, Bible verse? That woman told me she had an ax and two 38s. (laughs) And I realize right now as I tell that story, some of you old ladies like Kathy probably actually do have a 38 in your purse. Welcome to Idaho. Open carry state. Misunderstanding is just the name of the game in human communication. It just is. You and I are going to say things sometimes that just get misunderstood. We're going to mean one thing and someone is going to hear it as something totally different. And that's John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is trying to tell them something about himself. And he is leading them. He's leading them to verse 58 and 59. That's, where, that's the whole sermon right there. He's trying to show them what is true about himself. And what he does is he kind of baits them and then he just sort of reels them in step by step. He speaks cryptically. So he says things and he knows what he means and they don't understand what he means. And then they press him on it and then he says another thing and that just 
gets their ire. That makes them mad, and he's just reeling them in, taking them all the way to the revelation that he is God. Now, he is either God the Son in human flesh, incarnate in a human being, in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. That is either true about Jesus, or he is actually a blasphemer. He actually is a blasphemous rabbi if it's not true. And he's going to try to show them it is actually true. So in this argument with the Pharisees, now he starts out, verse 12, he starts arguing with the Pharisees and their followers, right? And, but all of their, the crowd of their disciples are listening in on his debate with these Pharisees and leaders of the law and the Sanhedrin. And as they're doing that, uh, something becomes clear. Verse 17 says, In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies of myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they're like, Whose Father? Are, is, your, is your dad here? They don't understand what he's saying. And so, so then Jesus counters, he counters a charge to them that they are unfit judges. Now they are the Sanhedrin, which means they're the high court. They're the Supreme Court of Israel. So they have turned this now into a trial. And they say, you have insufficient witnesses. So, so you can't be telling the truth. You've broken Moses' law. He goes, nope. First of all, my witness is sufficient because I wrote that law. And secondly, I do have another who testifies on my behalf. It's my father in heaven. And then Jesus says this in verse 27. It says, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man. Now he's talking about his crucifixion. They cannot understand this right now. He says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. In him. Who are the many? The crowd of Talmudim. The word Talmudim means disciples. So that's the Hebrew word for disciples. So this crowd right now, these are the Pharisees' disciples, probably hundreds of them. And they're starting to go, huh, he, he, he's making sense. And when they see that the crowd, their own disciples, are starting to lean in Jesus' direction, it's on. So the scene is set for Jesus to begin to explain in much more direct terms exactly who it is that he is. And many believed in him. Two things are going to happen. Jesus is now going to turn to them, back to the Pharisees, but also to them to say, okay, if you're a true believer, here's what a true believer is. And he turns directly to them. Appear, those who are appear, appear to be warming to his teaching, perhaps they are impressed by his speaking style. Maybe they're just impressed that he just has, he's just a better, he's better at arguing. Um, so they're very impressed by him, by his apologetics. But whatever attracts them definitely doesn't keep them. Now, the key here is the verse 31 and 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him. Now Jesus turns directly to them and says this. If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. The phrase hold to my teaching means if you stay in my teaching, if you remain in my teaching, if you hold fast to what I have taught you, then you are really my disciples, my true disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. That's what the truth does. Let me ask you a question. Is there any such thing as truth? Is there a such thing as objective truth, or do you just find your own truth? Is your truth just in you? There's no truth in you. <laughs> but there is a such a thing as truth. 
And it is in the one who embodies truth, who himself is the truth. Apart from understanding what is actually true, you and I can never, ever experience the life and liberty that is in Christ Jesus. So what is truth? I'll tell you another story to illustrate this. There's another lady who came out of the grocery store, and she had two sacks full of groceries from the frozen department, frozen aisle department. And it was the hottest day on record, hottest summer day on record. She took her groceries, she put them in the back of her car. Now her car, when she opened that door, just the heat that came out of it. She sat in the front seat, and just before she turned the key, she heard a gunshot. And when she heard the gunshot, she felt the bullet hit the back of her head, and miraculously, she wasn't dead. And she put her hands behind her head to survey the damage, and her brains were coming out of the back of her skull. And so she sat there and held her brains and pressed her brains, tried to push them back in for 20, 30 minutes. Someone noticed and saw her squirming around and leaning over the steering wheel, trying to hold her brains in. And she said, help me, I've been shot in the back of the head and I'm trying to hold my brains in. The police and the paramedics showed up and jimmied the door and opened the door and the EMT got in there and said, ma'am, ma'am, can I just pull your hands away to see the damage? And she said, no, don't, because I'm holding my brains in. He said, ma'am, if I could just, and he peeled her finger back, and he said, well, good news and bad news. Your brains are fine, but a can of Pillsbury biscuits is is lost. (laughs) Because when she put those frozen biscuits in that hot car, it exploded 30 seconds later, and she spent 20 minutes holding biscuits to her head. Now, the truth of biscuit (laughs) is intolerant of her error. And this is what's true about truth. Truth is, by its very nature, intolerant of error. It doesn't matter what you imagine. It doesn't matter what you think is true. You can hold biscuits to your head all day long and think that's your brains, but it won't be true. What's true is true. And what Jesus says is, you will know, if you hold to my teaching, if you remain in me, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? From sin. Now, the kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about, he's not just talking about limitless libertarian freedom. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, oh, you'll be free to live however you want. You'll be free to do anything, anything that pleases you, anything that brings you hedonistic pleasure. He's not saying that. Even in the garden where the people were supremely free, Adam and Eve, they still had laws. And they still had parameters. And they still had God's rules, right? So they are living within the ecosystem, the kingdom of God. And when you come into the kingdom of God, what that means is you become maximized. You become all that God intended you to be in his economy, in his kingdom. And so if Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. And you will be free to become all that he's designed you to be. And so the main idea today is this. Jesus insists that if they hold fast to his teaching, it's very simple. If they hold fast to his teaching, they they are genuinely his disciples. Real disciples hold fast to Christ's teaching and they come to know the truth. And the truth sets them free from sin. So there are two things Jesus wants to share, two truths in this passage that are extremely hard to hear. The first one is this one. Jesus teaches the truth about people. We're sinners, and we need a Savior. Uh, Jesus is the Savior. We sing that every Christmas. But from what? 
from damnation, from the condemnation that sin brings. Absolutely. Now, the Jews that Jesus is talking to, they already know this is true about the Gentile world. What are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentile nations are lost in idolatry. Lost. They're godless. They're pagans. They're idol worshipers. And you know what? The Gentiles know it. And they don't care. They're like, yeah, you got me. (laughs) I mean, we enjoy our life. Sinning as much as we want. Worshiping anything and everything that we want to worship. Now, the Jews know this about them. What they don't know is that they also are born sinners because they have been born into Adam. Now, here's what they think, okay? The Jews are lost in religion. And you can be just as lost in religion as you are in idolatry. You can be just as lost in religion as you are in pleasure, pleasure pleasure-seeking. And so they're lost too. And Jesus wants to show them this. He wants to teach them that, yes, You're sons of Abraham, but first, before you were sons of Abraham, you were sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And you guys, you're sinners. You're born into sin. You have a sinful nature. And so they have pride in two things. Essentially, their Abrahamic pedigree. I want to read you this, John 8, 33 through 36. Here's how the conversation goes down. They answered him, well, we are Abraham's descendants, and, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean you're going to set us free? From what? From what? How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. They're like, you're crazy. We're sons of Abraham. So what are they appealing to? Their fine Abrahamic lineage. We were born into the one line on the planet Earth that is guaranteed salvation by virtue of their birthright. We are sons and daughters of Abraham, and that's what they think guarantees their salvation. And Jesus has come to say, it doesn't matter how religious your family was. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, what your lineage is. That does not matter. What matters is your personal faith in God in Christ, in me. And so he's trying to teach them that. And Paul teaches the same thing, the universal sinfulness of everyone. Romans 3, 9 and 23, he says, for we have already made the charge, the case, that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, the dominance of it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And not only are we born into sin, and not only do we not meet God's standard, sin also blinds us to the truth so that we can believe it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, he says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. So not only are we darkened in sin, but then Satan, the devil, helps himself. He comes along and, and blinds our minds to the truth and tells us that there is no such thing as objective truth and there is no such thing as needing to be saved or needing a savior. And then in 1 John 3, 8, here's what John says again in his epistle. The one who continues in a life of sin is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning and the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Do you see what his work is? His work is to keep you bound in a life of sin. His work is to keep you bound in deception to think that the way you think is the right way to think. But Jesus is here to tell you that's wrong. 
You need to come to him and confess and admit the fact that you are lost in your sin. And so it's hard. It's hard to hear these things. Has, has anyone had ever sit you down and tell you the truth about yourself? And say, hey man, uh, here's, here's what I'm seeing. That's, that's happened to me a couple of times uh, in my adult life. Well, maybe more than a couple. But uh, usually from mentors, people I trust. Actually, people I know who have my best at heart. Who said, hey Jeff, you know, here's what's true. Here's what I'm seeing. And you know, it doesn't matter how humble you tell yourself you're going to come into the conversation with. You're like, oh, I'm going to be so humble. I'm just going to receive it, brother. <laughs> and you may even look like that on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, oh, I want to punch him in his face. Because that's just human nature. It's hard to hear the truth about ourselves. It's hard to sit down and have someone tell us, man, this is what is true. This is what is true. That's difficult. And Jesus does that. Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves. And the news is not good. It's not good. Without him, apart from him, we are lost forever. But then Jesus also teaches us the truth about himself. So in this text, he's going to tell us the truth about himself. And that is that he is God's unique one and only, singular, eternal son. Now, John has already told us this, the reader in John chapter one, he's already told us that he is the word from eternity past, that he was with God and was God and all things were created through him and by him and for him and nothing was made without him that has been made. I mean, think about it. That's a grand statement. Now, you and I already know that this son, this eternal son has now tabernacled, come and dwelled in a human man named Jesus of Nazareth. But these guys in the story, John chapter 8, they don't know that. These disciples of the Pharisees, they don't know that. And so he's trying to lead them inexorably to this truth, to the revelation and the discovery that this is true. And in verse 38, he is the son who has seen the father. How, how is it possible that he has seen the heavenly father? In 40 and 45 through 47, he is the son who tells them the truth that he heard from God. In 42, he is the son who was sent from the father. In 49 through 50, he is the son who honors and glorifies the father. And in verse 54, he is the son who is glorified by the father. And in 55, he is the son who knows and obeys perfectly, perfectly everything the father says. And in verse 58, he tells him, I'm the preexistent I am. Think about how hard that is to hear if you're a first century Jew. Here are the verses. Here's the conversation in 52 through 59. Abraham died and so did the prophets, they said. Yet you, you say whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you kidding? Are you greater than our father Abraham? Because um, he died and, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory uh, means nothing. But my father, whom you, you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. And though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar just like you. <laughs> Jesus is a conversationalist. I want to tell you, that's the way to do it. I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him and I obey perfectly his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and, and he was glad. And you are not yet 50 years old. Now 50, that's not just a number they pulled out. At the age of 50, certain rabbis were eligible for certain administrative tasks, leadership roles within the order. So they're saying, you're, you haven't even reached that point in your life where you're eligible for chief leadership among the Sanhedrin, and you have seen Abraham, you, 
You're not even 50 years old yet, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up heavy stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Notice the grammar here is really wrong. It's wrong. He should have said, before Abraham was born, I was. But he doesn't say that. He says, before Abraham was born, ego imi. That Greek phrase means, I am. I am the one. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up now. And I want to help you to understand how this was so difficult for a Jew to hear. The reason why this was so difficult is because God taught them from day one that he was the only God. And God tried to drill it into their minds, into their hearts, and they flirted with idolatry the whole time. And God warned them from the day they came out of Egypt, you are going into exile. Into exile you will go if you don't stop worshiping false gods because they're no gods at all. If you don't stop that, you will be going off into exile, and then they do. Nebuchadnezzar comes down and hauls them away, and the next thing you know, they're in exile in in the Babylonian kingdom for 70 years. And then they return, and when they return, what happens? They're cured they never worship false idols again. (laughs) They have been taken out to the woodshed, a national timeout, and it's done. The lesson is learned. And And Israel, to this day, they are staunch monotheists. And so now we understand how difficult it is for them to hear a man say what Jesus is going to say. But I just want to read you just a handful of scriptures. In the Old Testament, there are hundreds of these folks where God describes himself as Yahweh. That name means I am. The literal translation of that name Yahweh means I am. And also God, which is the word Elohim or El. All the way back to Genesis 2-4, here's what it says. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. And when they were created, when the Lord, Yahweh, the I am... God, Elohim, made the heavens and the earth, the earth and the heavens. Exodus chapter 3, 14 and 15, God, there's that word again, Elohim, said to Moses, I am who I am. That phrase is, ayeh, asar, ayeh, which means, that, that word ayeh is the word Yahweh. It's the verbal root of the word Yahweh. God says, I am that I am, which means I am the one that is as opposed to the ones who are not. All those Egyptian gods are not. I am the one who is. I am that I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am, Yahweh has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God, Elohim of your fathers, the God, Elohim of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, he says. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Now I'll read you the rest of these passages, but I'm going to substitute Yahweh with I am. It's literal translation. Here's what they say. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the I am is our God. The I am is one. Psalm 18.34, for who is God but the I am? Isaiah 42, 5 and 6, thus says God the I am, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the I am, and I've called you in righteousness. 
Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witnesses, declares the I am, and my servant on whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am is he. Before me there is no God formed, and there will be none after me. 44, 6 says, thus says the I am, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the I am, the Almighty. He says, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. 45.5, he says, I am the I am, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God at all. 45.14, thus says the I am, surely God is with you, and there is no one else, no other God. And verse 21 says, who has long since declared, it is, is it not I, the I am? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. And now we understand how difficult it is for the Jewish Sanhedrin to stand there and listen to a rabbi from Nazareth say, I am. I'm the one. And I've come to rescue you from your sin. If you will just confess the truth about yourself, that you are a sinner far from God and you're headed for a crisis eternity, and that I am the Son of God and there is no other. Will you stand with us? Would you make this song your closing prayer? Make it your rebel yell. Make it your, your prayer and your commitment and devotion to God this morning.